But it's good to be here. We are back in Acts. We are uh, in our second season of our sermon series, which we started in January. Uh, and uh, we are in Acts chapter 10, so keep that open with me. Um, we have seen, from the start of Acts, we have seen a massive movement of God. Uh, we've seen uh, the, the, the risen Jesus go up to heaven and the gospel of Jesus go out from Jerusalem through Judea into Samaria. And we've seen it crash through some pretty extraordinary barriers. We've seen external opposition, persecution. We've seen internal opposition in the church. Now tonight we see the most significant barrier of them all as the gospel goes out to the Gentiles to the non-Jews as the, the, the Gentiles receive and believe the same gospel that the Jews did back in Acts chapter 2 and the Gentiles, the non-Jews receive exactly the same spirit as the Jews did back in Acts chapter 2. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Here we see the Gentile Pentecost and here we have the tipping point. See, Acts 10 is the biggest event in history since the ascension of Jesus. You might not read it in your history book, but it's bigger than the Berlin Wall coming down. It's bigger even than Australia Day. Because without Acts 10, there would be no Christianity in Australia. Now the big point that Acts 10 is making is that the gospel uh, and Jesus is for all. Now we know that. We know that the gospel of Jesus is for all. And it's all thanks to these events here in chapter 10 of Acts. This is the start of a new chapter, if you like, in the movement of God. And it's responsible for us being here tonight. Peter, as you might have seen, is the lone nut in this movement as he goes about speaking of Jesus. Uh, two people who are very different to himself. And the question this passage puts to us tonight is, will you join this movement of God? Will you join this movement of God? Uh, lots of people take uh, different angles on this passage. But if you notice, if you read on to chapter 11, you will notice that this whole account is repeated uh, pretty much word for word for the sake of the early church so that they will get on board this movement of God. Peter needs to get on board and the church needs to get on board this movement of God. And Acts chapter 10 is here so that we would get on board this movement of God. Well, how are we to get on board this movement of God? It's back in uh, chapter 1 of Acts verse 8. We heard that... We heard that we are told that uh, you will receive, Jesus uh, tells his followers that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And they will be my witnesses in all of uh, Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we, if we're Christians here today, we are Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. So Acts chapter 10 asks us tonight. Will you get up from the grass? Will you join the lone nut Peter and be Christ's witnesses in our world? Will we speak the gospel to all? 
to people who are like us and to people who are very different to us. You might be here tonight and you're not a, uh, a Christian, you're just looking into things or you've come with someone who is a Christian. What I want you to take away tonight and what I want you to see is that Jesus is for all. So whether you're a, you've got a Catholic background, you've got a Jewish background, a Muslim background, maybe you call yourself an atheist, maybe you're a morally conservative uh, lower North Shore like lots of us here, maybe you're wild and crazy. What I want you to get from this is that Jesus, the gospel, is for all. It's for you. And you need to look into who Jesus is and what he claimed to do. The Christianity Explore course is a great place to start doing that. This is good news and it's for you. Now, uh, I would imagine there are a lot of Christians here tonight. And I hope that you don't need me to tell you that Jesus is for all. Most of us won't have a problem knowing that Jesus is for all. But we do have a problem speaking the gospel of Jesus to all, don't we? uh, Chapter 10, verse 34, uh, we see that God is for all. Uh, Verse 34, chapter 10 says, Then Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. I think we know that, don't we, that God doesn't show favoritism. But we can show favoritism all too often, can't we? In the way that we interact with people, the way that we seek to share Jesus with people, we can show favoritism. I asked my uh, five and six-year-old sons, why it is that we don't tell some people about Jesus? Why we find it hard to tell other people about Jesus. And they said, uh, we're embarrassed, uh, people are scary, and we don't trust God. Five and a six-year-old got that, and we get that, don't we? We get that. We feel the pressure uh, of, of uh, we feel the pressure to keep sitting on the grass, just like those people in that video, and not join the movement of God and tell people about Jesus. We know the pressure all too well. Well, Peter is the lone nutter, and he calls us tonight to get off the grass, to go public, to join him in this mission that he will complete at the end of time. Ephesians 1.10 says that Christ, um, that God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things under Jesus. We will all meet him one day, and he calls us into that mission of speaking Jesus And taking the life-saving news of Jesus to all people. Now that's a tricky thing to do. uh, We feel the pressure. And I've got just two points tonight from this long passage. We're actually looking at chapter 10 and half of chapter 11 in the uh, sermon series plan. So we're covering a lot. But I've got just two problems, uh, two points that will hopefully help us join the movement of God. So first point, Peter's problem. Second point. Peter's privilege. Peter's problem. You can see the problem in the reaction of the Christians. Just flick on to chapter 11, verse 3. Uh, When Peter comes back to the early church, we see their reaction in verse 3. They say, you visited uncircumcised men and ate with them. The problem that 
that Peter faced is that the Jews didn't really go near the Gentiles. Now that's difficult for us to understand, living where we do in history. Uh, But at that time, it was illegal for a Jew to help a non-Jew, a Gentile woman, to give birth. Because that would mean another pagan coming in and polluting the world. Uh, The Jews believed that Gentiles only existed to fuel the fires of hell. Pretty harsh, isn't it? They didn't didn't really get on, did they? Uh, But God, in this this chapter and a half, God miraculously deals with Peter's Gentile-Jew issues. And we see God matchmake Cornelius and Peter so that Peter could take this life-saving news of Jesus to him. Flick back to chapter 10. We see very clearly that it is God who is at work. Verse 3, we see that an angel appears to Cornelius at 3 p.m. prayers, and and he tells him to send for Peter. Now, we uh, kind of think that angels crop up all over the place in the Bible, but angels are really rare, and they crop up at really important moments in the Bible. And here, an angel appears to matchmake Peter and Cornelius. Uh, With Peter in verse 11, we see him uh, at lunchtime and God clearly gives Peter this pretty unusual vision. I'll read uh, read from it from verse 11. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth. And the birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, For I have never eaten anything common and ritually unclean. Pretty weird, isn't it? It's a pretty weird vision. It happens three times. And what God is doing here, He is breaking down these food laws that divided Jew and Gentile. So if you were. A Jew, uh, there were a lot of foods on the banned food list. So if you're a Jew, you couldn't eat camels, you couldn't eat pigs, you couldn't eat the bearded vulture. Anyone ever tried a a bearded vulture? And and you couldn't eat the long-eared owl. You can read about all these things in, in Leviticus chapter 11. Now when God says, Peter, get up, kill and eat, he wasn't just saying, oh Peter, feel free to go and grab yourself a, uh, I don't know, a a bearded vulture and bacon kebab. What he's doing is he's breaking down what Ephesians calls the dividing wall of hostility. This uh, wall that stood between Jew and Gentile, that stopped the Gentiles coming in to God's people. You see, the food laws were designed to, to mark God's people out as different. Uh, as, as God's clean, holy people against the unclean, repulsive Gentiles. And what happens... Yes, yeah, so what... They were, they, they, they were marked out, and they were just the tip of the iceberg in this divide between Jew and Gentile. 
And you can see why Peter, why that is the case, that, that God is going further than just the food laws. If you look at, at verse 28, Peter said to, um, Peter said to the crowd in Cornelius' house, he says, Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me in that vision about the animals and all those things that I must not call any person common or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. Do you see what God is doing? He's smashing through that barrier that divided Jew and Gentile for ages. He's doing away with the dress code, if you like. Speaking of dress codes, in um, 2009 in a McDonald's in Paris, uh, they uh, nearly caused a riot when they tried to introduce a dress code. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, They put a bouncer on the front door. And they stopped anyone from coming in if they were wearing denim or thongs or had tattoos. And another bouncer went round inside the went round went round inside the McDonald's. And anyone who was swearing or who had bad table manners, well, they were kicked out of this McDonald's. And it did nearly cause a riot. It's scandalous, really, if you think about it. I think it was part of an advertising campaign, so it was lifted after a couple of days. You see, uh, what's going on here is that. That what, what's being destroyed here is the dress code that we now understand to be the Christianity that everyone can come into. You see, God was destroying the dress code. Custom and culture set out this, uh, this dress code to be in God's people and effectively slammed the door in the Gentiles' faces. In Acts 10, uh, we learn that Jesus has rewritten that dress code and enabled Peter to sit down with Cornelius and explain and share the gospel of Jesus. Now, I've said we know that the gospel is for all. We know it's for all. We don't have uh, any, uh, we don't have a circumcision check when you're coming into church at night, do we? We know that it's for all. We don't bar anyone. But we can easily create this kind of dress code culture. Apparently Gandhi came in, uh, tried to convert to Christianity and went into a church uh, to, to find out about Christianity. And he was stopped at the door and told, perhaps you better leave and go and join uh, some worshippers of your own kind. Shocking, isn't it? Imagine if we barred all the lawyers and all the soccer players and all the bridge crossers from church tonight. We probably should bar the the bridge crossers, shouldn't we? Um, It would be scandalous. We'd end up on the the front of the Sydney Morning Herald. Well, all too often, our behaviour can be that barrier, often without realising it. I hope that we won't ever be cliquey or unwelcoming to guests and to visitors but we can create this kind of dress code for our Christianity often without realising it if you don't believe me try asking your friends who aren't Christians ask them uh, like in a family feud style what they think being Christian is all about ask them what their top three answers would be 
say, obeying rules probably, going to church. If they're being cheeky, they might say being homophobic. Often our friends know more about what we disagree with than what we believe in. We can easily create this dress code. So often our attitude can put up this barrier to people knowing about Jesus. I know that my attitude often compartmentalizes different areas of my life. And I kind of put people in these boxes of being susceptible to to me telling them the gospel or not. Do you do do that? Um, I go swimming with the kids and on a Monday evening I always sit next to the same lady. She's a a Japanese lady and I'm friendly with her. We've had some conversations about Jesus. But deep down I'm going, like one, she doesn't really understand what I'm saying. Her English is, is pretty poor. But two, why would she want to hear about Jesus from me? She's, she's not going to be interested. She's cool. She's Japanese. Um, why would she want to talk to me about Jesus? We can often do that, can't we? Uh, anyway, the other week she asked me for a book in Japanese explaining to her about Christianity. Uh, how incredible is that? Uh, that? That really rebuked me. How many times have we been into a taxi and had a Muslim taxi driver try and evangelize us? How many times has that happened to us? But how many times have we gone into a, a taxi and try and share the gospel of Jesus with that taxi driver straight off the bat? Uh, not many, if I'm speaking personally. We hear in uh, chapter 10, verse 34, we heard that Peter says that he's understood that God doesn't show favoritism. I wonder what would happen if we planned our week with that verse in mind, that God doesn't show favoritism. If we made a solid plan of who will come across our paths, who we will see, not just the, in the big blocks of time at work and at a, a sports club, but in the small pockets of time. Try working out who uh, God will put in your path. Work out your week with this gospel intentionality. Not showing, the fa- not showing favoritism to, to who we might spend time with and who we might be intentional with. Why don't you try seeking to remove the barriers that stop you talking to your barista about Jesus? Remove the barriers that stop you from talking about Jesus to your boss or to the woman or man that you always see on the train and say a polite good morning to. You see, these meetings may seem ordinary, but God is no less in control than he is here in Acts 10. And those meetings are no less miraculous than they are here in Acts 10. We might have all the bells and whistles of a, a, a mission launch in Acts, but the meetings that we have and the gospel that we share and the ordinariness of those are no less miraculous. And we need to know that because we have the extraordinary privilege of taking the gospel into God's world. And that's our second point tonight, Peter's privilege. So just as uh, Peter was set up to tell Cornelius the gospel, Cornelius was set up to hear the gospel. Did you uh, notice how Cornelius was portrayed? Just look at verse 2 of chapter 10. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. 
He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. Do you notice, what do you notice about Cornelius? He's a good guy, isn't he? He's a really good guy. He's religious, he's God-fearing, he's generous, he's enemy-loving, he's a praying, he's a family guy. And even he needs to hear about Jesus. If, uh, if you're a Christian, you've probably been asked at some point in your lives, what about the person who lives on a desert island, who lives a good, moral, upright life, but believes in God, but doesn't actually know it's God, and has never heard about Jesus? Can't they, go to, can't they just go to heaven? Well, Cornelius is that man, and even he needs to hear about Jesus. And Peter has the privilege of telling him about Jesus. I wonder whether you asked where we're reading that out. Why on earth didn't the angel just tell Cornelius the gospel? Surely that would have been easier, wouldn't it? It would have saved the two-day walk from Joppa. Uh, But Peter is sent for, and Peter goes to Caesarea. He gets this uh, boy band welcome when he goes through the door. uh, Verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. He is a commander of a hundred Roman soldiers. He's living in the most important Roman city in Palestine. And he falls at Peter's feet as if God himself has walked through the door. Of course, Peter corrects him. Did you notice that? Verse 26, he says, stand up. I myself am also a man. But that's the shock. And that's the point of this passage. That God uses men to take his gospel to his people, to all people. God gives us that privilege. He gives men and women that privilege. Even Muppets like Peter. I quite like Peter, don't you, as you read? Uh, For all of his boasting about uh, not eating unclean food uh, when the vision comes, he was there back in Mark chapter 7. He heard from Jesus himself that... All food was declared uh, clean. You probably studied that in your hive group this week. Uh, Peter was there. He, un- he knew firsthand that all food was clean. And also, t- despite this, uh, his initial aversion to Gentiles, who is he stay- whose uh, Mossman mansion is he staying in? In Joppa. Did you notice? Simon the Tanner. And what are tanners? You can learn from your little footnote that tanners uh, were regarded as ritually unclean in Jewish circles. But Peter doesn't have an issue staying with him. There's so much Peter in us, isn't there? There's, There's hypocrisy and double standards and forgetfulness. But God gives Peter this enormous privilege. And he gives us this enormous privilege to take his gospel to all people. Chapter 10, verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to, ju- to, be, um, to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. What a great account of the gospel that is. 
that all who believe in Jesus will not face judgment, will receive forgiveness of sins. The world will often have us believe that the gospel is cabbage soup, that it's superfluous to what we need, that what we get from this life. But it is gold. He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. On our own, we will face God's judgment. We will not reach the pass mark. But Jesus is the one who has died to take that judgment in our place so that we can call God our friend. So that we will not know hell, we will know the new creation, that we will not know judgment, but we will know freedom and peace. Jesus Christ is Lord, appointed to judge the living and the dead. And whoever believes in him receives a pardon and a a peace that the world cannot deliver. We had uh, Isaiah uh, Isaiah 52 read earlier. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news from God. Look at your feet. Actually, you've got pews in the way and you've got shoes on. But look at your feet. They are beautiful. God says they are beautiful. They are privileged feet sent by God into his world to take the gospel to his world. God chooses us. As hopeless as we are, as spineless as we are, as as the cowards that we are, and he chooses to use us in the movement of God, sharing this good news. It's an extraordinary privilege that we have. I know not everyone is an evangelist. There'll be some here tonight. uh, And it really floats your boat to go into every situation and just talk about Jesus. That won't be all of us. But all of us should do the work of an evangelist. All of us should have a go, knowing that God is in control. You see, the same God that match made Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is the same God that is at work in your life, matching you and your beautiful feet and your gospel in your hands and your heart to people like Cornelius who don't know Jesus and need to hear about Jesus. He is at work. It may look ordinary, it may look boring, it may look uh, uh, like a, a fleeting comment in a lift or over a coffee. But God is matchmaking us in his movement so that people will hear about Jesus and be saved. Can I encourage you to remind each other of that privilege at Hive Group here on Sunday. Remind each other of the privilege. Get up at open encouragement and say, I have been hopeless and spineless about talking about Jesus and and being on the movement of God. But Jesus loves me anyway. Jesus has taken the punishment that I deserve for my failings. And he's called me into this privileged position of being on mission with him, despite what I'm like. Uh, Peter says in chapter 11, verse 17, he says this, he goes, if God gave them the same gift, that gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift 
that he also gave to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. How could I possibly hinder God? Friends, as we go into our weeks this week, let's not hinder God. None of us are up to the task. But let's not hinder God. God is at work in his world and he has given us his message of salvation to speak to the world. It's a great privilege. It's a great privilege. So so let's join the movement of God. Let's get off the grass. Let's be the lone nuts dancing uh, in the movement of God together, reminding each other whose movement we're taking part in. Let's go vocal. Let's get, uh, let's get, get vocal, go public. Risk ridicule and speak about Jesus because it's an enormous privilege that God has given to us. Let's pray.